0: That's good in your life is from God, including life itself. And all He wants from you is just one thing everything, all that you do and all that you are. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah takes a closer look at what it means to truly worship and how it's more than just your church experience. It should be your lifestyle. Listen as David introduces the conclusion of his message What is Worship? And thank you for joining
1: us today. We begin a new week together uh, studying the subject of worship. It's from a book I wrote called My Heart's Desire. The book is not the resource of the month, but you can actually get the book from davidjeremiah.org, along with the CD package and the and the uh, study guide. The resource for the month of September, however, is our annual calendar project, uh, and it is beautiful. It is called Moving Mountains, and it's Exclusive 14-month calendar, including November and December of 2022, and the notation of special holidays and previous and next month's calendar, a Bible reading plan for the new year, all of it's incorporated into the calendar, and there's room on every day for you to write in your events and keep track of what you're doing. And it's it's beautiful. It's something that will adorn any room where you put it. And it's yours for a gift of any amount to Turning Point. When you ask for this resource, we'll send it to you right away. The way you get it is you send a gift during the month of September of any size, whatever God tells you to do. And when you send your gift, be sure to ask for the calendar, and it will be on its way to you before you know it. We also want to let you know that we have a new book coming out in October called The World of the End. Actually, the full title is It's Not the End of the World, But It Is the World of the End. And uh, between now and October the 3rd, there's a special pre-order that includes Be the Answer bookmark and A to Z guide to prophecy, 36 terms to help you understand prophecy, five prayers for living in uncertain times, and other resources. In other words, when you pre-order the book, you get all of these assets that go with it. You can find out more about that at davidjeremiah.org be among the first to pre-order the new book that comes out in October. Again, the book is entitled The World of the End, and it's based on the Sermon on the Mount, which Jesus uh, delivered uh, just a few days, few hours before he went to the cross. Very important information. Well, let's get started with part two of what is worship.
2: God will not accept inferior worship. If I grew up as a pastor's kid, I've been hanging around the church all my life. So often what you hear is, oh, it's just for the church. No, it's for God. And I dare say if God were to be physically present here, you wouldn't give him any old thing you got laying around the house. You'd bring him the best you have. And that's what he demands. He doesn't accept inferior worship. Well, you say, Pastor Jeremiah, if he doesn't accept all of that kind of worship, then what kind of worship do we bring God? Let me suggest to you that it's important that we get the answer to that. It's important because if you read the scripture, disastrous things happen to people who didn't worship right. Have you noticed that? I think about Nadab and Abihu who offered, according to the Old Testament, strange fire. They worshiped God in the wrong way and they were history in a moment. And I've already mentioned that when they reared up the golden calf to worship God, that God allowed thousands of them to die because of their sin. I think about King Saul. King Saul, who one day got impatient because Samuel, the prophet, the priest, didn't show up in time to do the sacrifice as he was supposed to do. And Saul got impatient. He said, well, I don't need to wait on Samuel. I'll do it myself. And he offered to God an improper sacrifice and the scripture says that because of that, God said to King Saul, because of what you did, I am taking the kingdom away from you and you cannot be king anymore. The reason that I want you to understand all of this is that sometimes we have this, well, some people do and some people don't attitude about worship. And it's a very important thing. It's very important that we not only find out that God desires to be worshipped, but that we do our very best to discover how he wants to be worshipped because he counts it as very important. Now the first thing I want to tell you about true worship is that true worship is a response of obedience to God. God hasn't given us the option to worship Him or not to worship Him. I have gone through the Psalms, and I'll tell you what, there's so much material in the Psalms on worship, but I want you to understand something with me that worship is a command that God has given to us. It is not an option It is a responsibility. It is a duty that all of us have. Let me just read some verses for you, and you listen with your heart. Psalm 29, 2. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Psalm 95, 2 and 6. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord God our Maker. Psalm 96, for the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. O oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. If you read through the scriptures, what you discover is that according to the word of God, God is to be loved by his creatures with all of their heart, soul, and mind. He is to be praised. He is to be blessed. He's to be gloried in. He's to be exalted. He's to be feared. He's to be rejoiced in. He's to be extolled. He's to be thanked. All of that and hundreds more are reminders to us, friends, that we don't have an option if we're going to be obedient children of whether we worship God or not. Worship is a command. It is the priority and the responsible obedience in our hearts. Well, you say, Jeremiah, I come to church to hear you preach and I don't get into all that stuff we do up front. Well, my preaching isn't doing you a whole lot of good because if that's your attitude, you're disobedient. You're not to come here passively waiting through the first moments until we get to the teaching. And you know how important I believe that to be but your first priority in coming to church is not what you're going to get out of church but what you're going to give back to God through your exercise of worship in obedience to His Word. I don't believe you can really get from the teaching of the Word of God all that God wants you to have if you haven't first of all given back to God the response of obedience in worship that He demands of you. You try that for the next few weeks and see if I'm not right. You come to God before the service, they say, Lord, help me to just give you all my worship in this service with all my heart, and then you watch what happens when God begins to speak to you through his word in the message. I need to pause here for just a moment before we go on to remind you that if indeed God's word it commands us to worship and gives us what we need to know about worship, then we're going to have some very difficult choices to make in the days ahead. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 15, would you? I have read this passage many times, but never in the context of worship. But here is a powerful passage of Scripture. And let me just say to you before we read it, people, many of us will have to come back to this portion of God's Word in the days ahead to decide how we're going to respond to what God says to us. Now, let me explain to you what's going on here. Jesus is being interviewed by the scribes and the Pharisees. And as you can imagine, he is in conflict with them. We read in verse 1, Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Now I suppose there's one kid in the whole world who wouldn't like to know about that passage when he's growing up. That the elders didn't wash their hands, why do I have to wash mine, right? But there's more going on here than that. Watch his response. Jesus said to the Pharisees, why do you transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? Now there's two transgressions mentioned here, and watch carefully. In the first, the Pharisees said to Jesus, your disciples are transgressing the traditions. And Jesus said, hold up, wait just a minute. The problem isn't the transgression of tradition. The problem is that by your traditions, you're transgressing the commandment of God. And you know what? Sooner or later, all of us in our Christian lives, if we're really honest and have integrity in the way we study God's word, have to make a choice. Am I going to make the word of God paramount in my life? Or am I going to allow traditions to rule my life? And you know, the way it comes out in worship is, well, you know, Pastor Jeremiah, we've never done it this way. Well, that sounds like a tradition. Is there anything wrong with traditions? No. Traditions are great. All of us have them and we love them, and there's security, there's encouragement from them. The problem isn't that we have traditions. The problem is when our traditions run counter to what God's Word says, then we have to make a choice. Are we going to give up God's Word or are we going to give up our traditions? And there are some people that are so set in concrete with their traditions that they don't really care what the Word of God says. This is the way I've always done it. I feel comfortable doing it this way. I'm going to do it this way the rest of my life. I'm going to die doing it this way and then stand before the Lord. And he's going to say, Why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I tell you? (laughs) Now read on in the passage and notice what's going on here. At the end of verse 6, Jesus says, You have made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. (laughs) Did you hear what he said? You canceled out God's word by your tradition. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Did you know that that happens? People, they say, here is what God says, and they don't quote God at all. They quote the tradition, the commandments of men. A lot of stuff that's passed off as thus saith the Lord, is thus saith tradition. Isn't that true? And I don't want to belabor that point. I just want you to understand that if we say true worship is from God's word and we're commanded by God's word to do it and God has given to us the parameters of our worship, the question, the real question we need to ask when we come to the principles of worship is not what am I comfortable with or what is my tradition, but what does God say? Amen. And some of us are going to struggle with that. And we're going to come back to this passage again and say, yep, that's what he said. I think the next thing I want to say to you about worship is that worship is not only a response of obedience to God, but it is a reverent submission to God. Do You know what the word worship means? And I'm sure if you've ever done any, even cursory reading on the subject, you understand that worship comes from two words, worthship. Worship means to give worth back to God to reverently bow before him. Some of the words in both Hebrew and Greek translated worship are derivatives from the ancient practice of bowing oneself to the ground as an outward sign of reverence. Worship then is recognition and celebration of who God is and giving back to him the glory that he alone deserves and honoring him with our lives and with our words. Probably the purest illustration of worship that I know of that goes on in the Bible is Revelation 4. And let me just read it to you. Listen to all of the elements in worship here. The four and twenty elders fall down before him who sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever. And cast their crowns before the throne saying... Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created." That's worship. Giving back to God that which He alone deserves. In the days when the book of Revelation was written, when a king was conquered by the Roman legions, either he was brought to Rome to prostrate himself at the emperor's feet Or a massive image of Caesar was placed before him and he was required to fall down and cast his crown at that image or at the feet of Caesar. This was his act of total submission, of abdicating himself to the emperor. And I'm sure that much that John writes about worship in Revelation has in mind that scene that was played out before him over and over again. And he is saying that what they did to Caesar, that's what we do to God. We come before God and we bow down before Him and we submit to Him and we worship Him. It is reverent submission to the Lord. Thirdly, worship is the result of the death of Christ. We worship today wholly different than anyone has ever worshiped before in the sense that we live on this side of the cross We are redeemed by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that comes into play in the conversation Jesus had with the woman of Samaria. Do you remember that? They got to arguing about where you should worship. She said, well, Lord, I understand that the Samaritans think we're supposed to worship in Samaria. And the Jews think we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, woman, the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship me neither here nor there. But they will worship in spirit and in truth, for such the Father seeketh to worship him. What was he talking about? Well, the hour that was coming and was there in the very presence of her was the hour of Christ, wasn't it? Do you remember what happened when Jesus died on the cross? All of the things that accompanied that moment. Do you remember how that when he died on the cross, the veil was rent in the temple? Just shattered from top to bottom? And it was a visual sign that the way into the Holy of Holies has been opened up through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. No longer does a man have to go to a priest. No longer does he have to be in a special place. But because Christ died on the cross and paid the penalty for all of our sin, now we can come individually in the priesthood of every believer and we can worship God because of his sacrifice. And you know, I need to say this to you. If we really understood that, We would understand why worship, especially corporate worship, is a celebration. It's a party. I don't want to make a frivolous thing out of it, but it isn't just all of us coming and sitting in straight rows with a somber look on our face. My friends, if you understand that Christ died on the cross for your sin and he forgave all of your sin completely, past, present, and future, and in the place of your sin debt, he gave you the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and a home in heaven and the Holy Spirit to live in your heart and the Word of God to guide you day by day and Christian friends in fellowship to encourage you and then you come to church and the express purpose is to celebrate your redemption, we can't sing slow, somber, sad songs all the time. Amen? Amen. We need more joy, don't we? Why? What are we celebrating? We're celebrating our redemption. I love the story about the little boy who was a drummer in the Salvation Army band. And he was beating that poor drum to death to the point where the band director went to him and he said, son, he said you've got to tone that thing down. All we can hear is the drum. He said, bless you, sir, I understand. But he said, since I got converted, I'm so happy I'm about to beat that bloomin' drum to death. <laughs> you know, what he was talking about is exactly what I'm talking about. If you know the Lord there's a response in your heart that says, I have to celebrate my redemption and give praise to God for what he's done. That's the part of worship that is so elusive to us because we're afraid that we're going to go over here too far or we're going to leave the comfort zone and we're not headed that way at all. All I'm saying is if we truly understand that we have been redeemed, we will celebrate our redemption and that's part of worship. It is because of the death of Christ. And you know what else happened when Christ came and died? He went to the grave, was resurrected, and he went back to heaven. And you know when he went back to heaven, it was so that the Holy Spirit could come on the day of Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit has been given to all of us. And that's why we don't have to worry about whether we worship here or there. But we can worship in spirit and truth because we have the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Worship is the response of a heart that is excited about the God that is served one last thing before we close our bibles worship is also a reflection of your whole life did you know that someone has said that it's the rehearsal for your whole life what happens in the worship service is kind of a microcosm of all that you are and all that you do i'm reminded of this when i read paul's words in romans 12:1 and two very familiar verses to us but let me read them to you a little differently he said that we are to present our bodies unto god a sacrifice wholly acceptable unto him which is our reasonable worship. The word that is translated by the word service is a worship word. It's our reasonable worship. God says that when we come to him and give him our bodies, our lives, We are saying, Lord, here is this instrument of worship and praise, and I want it to be played all week long for your honor and glory, so that everything I do and everything I say and everywhere I go and everything I think and every relationship I'm involved in is an outgrowth of my love for you and an expression of my worship for you, my great God. And then when we come together on Sunday and we sing... We're saying, Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship you, and then we listen and God speaks to us. And we say, Lord, yes, I'm going to do that. I understand that. I'm obedient, Lord. I'll do what you say. And we reach out to one another. The whole thing that happens is kind of a little picture, a little vignette of the way our life is supposed to be all week long. So the quality of our worship here is sometimes a reflection of the quality of our worship out there, or perhaps it can be the motivation for greater worship out there as we come together and our worship here is elevated to a whole new level and standard. And it all has one thing in mind, one focus, one central thought, and that is that Jesus Christ might be praised and that God, our great God, might be honored and glorified. One of the great composers that is known to what some people refer to as legitimate musicians, is Joseph Haydn, who wrote, among other things, the great oratorio, the creation. He was presenting this on one occasion in the Vienna Music Hall. He was at the very end of his life. He was old and worn out and weak. In fact, he was in a wheelchair. He had to be helped in and out of the chair. They placed him in a rather prominent place on one of the side stages as that great, magnificent presentation was given. I don't know if you've ever heard it or seen it done, but there's a section in the early part of it where God is creating the world and he says, Let there be light. And there is an explosion of praise out of the orchestra and the chorus as that whole thing crescendos. And in this particular moment, perhaps because the composer was there, perhaps because of the excellence of the choir and the orchestra, this broke out into not only a great outburst of praise in the presentation, but the whole group of people who had gathered there stood to their feet and began to cheer and clap wildly. And then they witnessed and watched as the old composer struggled with all of his strength to get up out of his wheelchair and centered himself on the stage where everybody could see him. And he motioned for silence. And that great crowd became absolutely silent. And then with what strength he had left, the composer pointed his hand toward heaven and he said, No, no, not from me, but from thence comes all and he fell back in exhaustion into his chair. What was he saying? This isn't me, this is a reflection to him. It is from God that it comes. I am just a reflector, what he has given to me in terms of my gifts and energies, I am just using to pour back up to him and worship. It's not me, said this man, he said, it is God. That is the very essence of worship. That is the very core of worship for all of us. Do we direct our lives and our praise and our worship to him? Do we focus on him? Can we get him fully in view? And then in all that we do, make sure that he is lifted up and magnified. And when that happens, we have entered into an arena of praise and worship that few of us have known. But if you've ever known it, you will discover that it is addictive. (laughs) You will discover that you never want to be outside of that place again when you worship God. We are praying that in these days, God will open our hearts to a whole new level of understanding of what it means to worship and praise the Lord. St. Augustine once said that the Christian should be in hallelujah from his head to his foot. (laughs) And that's what we trust will happen as God teaches us how we can worship more effectively, so that the honor and the glory will be to our God.
1: Amen. What is worship? I hope you understand it better now than when we started. And tomorrow and Wednesday, we're going to talk about the wonder of it, the mysticism, the, the wonderful sense of the presence of God that happens when you worship. This is Turning Point, and I'm David Jeremiah. We're studying My Heart's Desire, a book on worship and how it affects our lives, not just when we go to church, but every day, how everything we do as believers is a part of our response to the Lord and included under the great title of worshiping Him. You can get a copy of the book, My Heart's Desire, from davidjeremiah.org. There's a study guide that goes with the book, and there's also a set of CDs that give you all of the audio teaching that you're listening to on the radio. But the resource for the month of September here at Turning Point is the calendar for the new year. And uh, this is what you can ask for when you send your gift to Turning Point during the month of September. The calendar is 14 months starting in November of 2022 and going through every month of 23. It gives you a place to put your appointments. It reminds you of your daily Bible reading schedule and so much more. Beautifully designed. It will grace your home and you will be blessed. I hope you'll ask for it when you send your gift today.
0: I'm David Jeremiah. Thanks for listening. Today's message originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church where Dr. David Jeremiah serves as senior pastor. Let us know how this ministry is impacting your life by writing to us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098 Delta B.C., V4L2M4. Visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or calling 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of our inspiring 14-month calendar for 2023, Moving Mountains, and spend each day encouraged. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, My Heart's Desire, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey. That will get them excited about the Word of God with the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible. Then continue the adventure with monthly audio adventures on airshipgenesis.com. Plus, download the Airship Genesis mobile game, where kids will travel back in time to the life of Jesus. Blast off with the young one in your life at airshipgenesis.com. Do you have faith that moves mountains? Turning Point's Moving Mountains 2023 calendar will remind you of the power of faith. With monthly scriptures and a Bible reading plan, this 14-month calendar will help you stay organized and grow in the Lord. The Moving Mountains calendar is yours with a gift of any amount to the ministry. And when you give $100 or more, we'll send you five calendars, perfect for sharing with family and friends. Go to davidjeremiah.ca.
1: Some children attended a wedding ceremony and when they returned home decided to play getting married. The girl playing the minister asked the little girl playing the bride, do you take this man for richer or poorer? And the little bride interrupted and said emphatically, for richer. Well, let's give her credit for knowing her mind. Almost everyone who is married took some sort of vow to love in spite of circumstances, in sickness or health, for richer or poorer. Yet often love is forgotten when circumstances change. Love becomes conditional instead of unconditional. When it comes to love, ours should be as unconditional as God's. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's unconditional love on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.